Good morning. All right, I'm going to start off by reading to you some excerpts from this article. This is from AL.com, which is, I think, a news site out of Alabama. The article was posted August 9th, 2021, so uh, just a couple weeks ago. This is what it says. It says, There's a new social media challenge going viral, but it may make you sick. It involves placing honey into an empty water bottle, placing it in a freezer, and then squeezing chunks of frozen honey into your mouth to give it a taste. The new frozen honey challenge started on TikTok by user DaveyRZ. His video posted on July 9th has garnered about 10.8 million views as of Monday. From there, the trend exploded across the social media platform. Creators are uploading videos of themselves trying out frozen, the frozen honey challenge with either delight or disgust. Have any of you seen this already? Yeah. Um, the, the hashtag, hashtag frozen honey, has been viewed nearly 821 million times. Um, for those of you that are not good at math, that's almost a billion times. While it may look refreshing, frozen honey could actually make you sick, according to recently published reports. A dietitian in New York, Sarah Rubin, told the New York Times that eating large amounts of honey could lead to stomach aches and diarrhea, and eating large amounts for a long period of time could also lead to weight gain and be harmful to teeth, Rubin added. So it's best to stay away from this challenge if you don't want cavities. Okay, so this article is... Silly. It, um, so this, the reason the story is silly is because it talks about eating large amounts of honey for a long period of time, which is not what the actual subject of the article is. It's the TikTok challenge where they eat a bite of honey. And for those of you that haven't looked it up, I did. I looked it up. And it's just people eating a bite of cold honey. I have no clue how a billion views have happened. It's not even interesting, actually. It's just they literally eat a bite of cold honey. There's nothing dangerous going on. But of course, we need to make it sound like it's super dangerous. And so we write this article about it. And the um, dietitian here says something that, that is true, that just doesn't apply to the topic. The thing that's true is she says eating large amounts of honey could lead to stomach aches and diarrhea. Eating large amounts for a long period of time could lead to weight gain and be harmful to teeth. I don't doubt that that's true. That's not what people are doing in the challenge. Now, the reason I read this, though, is because... not Because you go, why, why did you read a stupid article to us? Well, I've read you a lot of good ones, and I figured it was time to do a stupid one. Um, no, the reason I read it is because it brings up the topic. Like, even though that's not what people are doing on TikTok... The topic is still there, which is this dietitian is there in the New York Times just this month saying that you can eat too much honey. And I thought that was interesting because you know what else says that? The Bible says that. 3,000 years before that dietitian ever said that to the New York Times, the Bible said it. So our sermon this morning, we're continuing our series, Way of Wisdom. We're coming toward the end of it now. We have um, talked, like we've, we preached verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the first part of Proverbs, but then this middle section of Proverbs where you just have a bunch of individual Proverbs that aren't always related to the very next one. We've been taking this next section of Proverbs that we're in now topic by topic. And so we've talked about all sorts of topics and today's is overconsumption. And so if it were true that people were eating large amounts of honey for a long period of time and we needed to write an article about it, yes, I think the dietitian is correct it's a concern, and that is something, like I said, that the Bible said 3,000 years before she ever said it, and I'm going to show it to you. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. This is going to be the main verse that we learn today. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. Here it is. If you find honey, eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll get sick from it and vomit. All right? <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. All right? The, the... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is the word of God, all right? If you find honey, eat only what you need, otherwise you'll get sick from it and vomit. So that is somewhat similar to what the dietician said in the article, but again, this was a long time ago that this was discovered and figured out and recorded for us. But you might look at a verse like this and go, okay, well, that's kind of like a, 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 almost like a funny proverb, right? If you eat honey, eat only what you need, otherwise you'll get sick from it and vomit. But I want you to realize it's not just a funny proverb. I believe that there is a principle in this proverb that is so important, so practical, and so relevant to our lives. But part of the reason that I feel that way is because I understand that this proverb is more than just about honey. This is not just dietitian stuff, okay, even though it does apply to that. Um, and the way that I, like, what, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a principle in this verse that I want you to understand. It, be, it, it applies to beyond honey, and my children were able to get it, and my children were able to understand that fairly quickly. So I feel like those of you who are older than my children, which is most of you, you should be able to get it also. Uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, I called a family meeting. My two sons were there, my daughter was there, I was there, my wife was there, we all showed up, just like I asked. And I had a concern that I wanted to share with the whole family. So we all got together and I said, this is my concern. I'm concerned that we are playing video games on our tablets too much. And I tried to explain, I don't think it's wrong that we have a tablet. Like, I don't think I gave you an evil thing. Like, I think it's okay that we own tablets. I think it's okay that we play video games on the tablets. But I feel like we're playing them too much. We're too dependent on them. It's the thing we turn to when we don't have anything else to do. There are probably other things that would be good for us to do that we're not doing because of this. And so I'm, I'm concerned about it. And as I brought that up to the family, I read them this verse. I, out loud, I read, If you find honey, eat only what you need, otherwise you'll get sick from it and vomit. And I asked my family, I said, What does this verse teach us to do with honey? And one of my kids said, Eat it. Which is correct. It literally says, If you find honey, eat only what you need. So I said, That is correct. I said, how, what does this proverb teach us about how we're supposed to eat honey? And my seven-year-old daughter said, well, what this verse is saying is that, oh, it's not wrong for us to have tablets or to play video games, but we could do it too much and it could be bad for us. And I said, exactly. That's exactly the point. She's seven years old and she was able to realize this says something about honey and it says something about life. And she is correct, this is more than just honey, and one of the ways I, was know, I realized this for sure, because you might go, oh, seven-year-olds, what do they know about interpreting the Bible? Well, she got it right, and one way I could check is, I, I, went, I came here the next day, and um, I was getting ready for this sermon, and I read a commentary on the book of Proverbs from like an Old Testament scholar, and the Old Testament scholar, when he talked about this verse, pointed out that this verse, in principle, is found repeated in the very next verse, because it's not just about honey, that these are my words, not his. So I want to show you this proverb, but I want to show it to you with the next proverb right after it, okay? This is how it's found on the page if you open up a Bible to Proverbs, okay? Proverbs chapter 25. Right, these are right next to each other. If you find honey, eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll get sick from it and vomit. Now look at the next proverb. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Otherwise, he'll get sick of you and hate you. Now do you see what's going on here? The principle in verse 16 is applied to a non-food, non-honey you know, uh, situation in verse 17. Both of, these, both of these proverbs say the same thing, but they apply it to do different situations. You've got, if you find honey. In fact, both, both of these proverbs start off with the first line, describing a behavior that is not wrong, describing a behavior that is not sinful, but it's a behavior that can be taken too far. And so both of these Proverbs describe the behavior and then say the word 
otherwise, and then talk about what happens if you do it too far. And then the very next verse describes a behavior that's not wrong, and then the same word, otherwise, and then describes what happens if you take it too far. In other words, you can tell in the proverb itself that it's not just about honey because the honey principle is applied to hanging out with your friends too much in the very next proverb in the very same way, like paralyze, uh, par parallel. Otherwise, otherwise, he'll get sick of you and hate you. So that's the point this morning. And the point this morning is not about honey. The point that I really want you to get this morning is it is possible for you to have too much of a good thing. The book of Proverbs teaches us that it is possible to have too much of a good thing and to be God's people in this world means we must practice self-control in the way that we relate to God's world. So I wanted you to understand that in principle, that a proverb about honey could apply to other things. It obviously applies to other things because it applies to visiting your friends too often and it can even apply to other things as well, like how obsessed we are with our cell phones. The other thing I want to remind you before I read you the rest of the Proverbs for the morning is some of the passages that I'm going to read today, just like this one being about honey, are about a particular topic, and that doesn't mean that you can only apply the principle to that specific thing. And so several of the Proverbs I'm about to read to you on the topic of overconsumption talk about wine. Okay? The word wine is going to come up several times this morning as I read to you the Proverbs that are on this topic. And I just want you to understand that in principle, all of these verses that are about wine can apply to other substances. And so I want you to be thinking that direction. I can remember one time when I was, I don't know, 19 or 20, and there was this guy that came up to me and he said something like this. He said, you know, we Lutherans, we like to drink a lot of beer. And he said, and you know, the Bible, the Bible says not to get drunk on wine. And we don't. <laughs> we get drunk on beer, all right? <laughs> okay, and so when he, when he told me that, first of all, I'll just tell you this right now. If that is understood as a joke, then I'm totally fine with it. But if you actually interpret the Bible that way, there's a big problem with it, isn't it? That is interpreting the Bible way too literally. If you start going, oh, I want to be holy and please God, no wine for me, now pass me 13 Budweiser's, like there's a problem with that. That's not really interpreting scripture correctly. I want to point that out to you because we're going to read a bunch of Proverbs today that I think are very helpful. They will be helpful to many of you for many reasons, but only if you can understand that. There, there are Proverbs we're going to learn today that I think could apply to other kinds of drugs, other kinds of substances, prescription painkill. Like some of you, are, you have prescription painkillers, and, and, and you, I just don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to walk out of here today thinking, um, well, he didn't talk about my thing. Like he just talked about wine a lot. All right? So I just want you to realize that these Proverbs are, are, are bigger than they seem. So here we go. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler, and whoever staggers because of them is not wise. My particular translation translates that word beer. Some other translations translate it strong drink, but I think you get the point here. And when it says wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever staggers because of them is not wise... Uh, wine and beer here are being personified, okay? Wine and beer here are being treated like they're people because that's what a mocker is. Did you know that? A mocker is a person, one who mocks, okay? An aggressively foolish person. This verse is saying wine and beer are like bad people who get you into trouble. It is unwise to overconsume alcohol. Proverbs is warning us to be careful because it is able to lead us astray. That's actually another way to translate staggers. Whoever is, is, goes astray because of them. 
is not wise. Now, when you understand a verse like that, it brings up a question, I think, sort of naturally, which is, does this mean that alcohol is always sinful? Like any amount, in any way, is alcohol just inherently sinful? And as you may know, Christians have disagreed with the answer to that question over the years. Did you know that? Yeah, some of you were like, oh, I remember that Sunday school class. I never saw Tina again. Okay, so I understand there's been a lot of, been a lot of concern about this. <laughs> um, and in fact, I grew up uh, being influenced by two different churches. Uh, one church that I grew up in was the one that my family attended on Sunday mornings, and that was our church. And then the other church that I was influenced by was the church that was connected to the Christian school that I went to uh, Monday through Friday. And those two churches would answer the question totally differently. Okay? Is, is, is alcohol a sin? One of those churches would have said yes, and one of those churches would have said no. One of those churches would have said yes, in any amount, by any person, in any situation, ever, always wrong. And the other one would have said no, in moderation is fine, just make sure you don't get drunk, but it's actually a gift from God. Well, who was right? <laughs> You'll have to decide what you believe on this. But as I have learned the Bible now for years... Um, to me, I would say it is very obvious that the Scripture speaks of alcohol in both positive and negative ways. If you read through the Bible, you will see positive verses speaking of alcohol like it's a blessing from God and negative, warning, stay away kind of verses. An obvious negative example would be the verse that I just read to you from Proverbs. If you want to read a negative verse about alcohol outside of the book of Proverbs, a really famous one would be Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 18. In fact, my Lutheran friend was alluding to this verse. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. Right? So obviously the point here isn't get drunk on beer. You can see the, whole, the point of the verse is you, the thing that fills you to the point that it controls you needs to be the Spirit of God. You can fill yourself with something else to the point that it will control you and it will lead to reckless actions. Rather, you should be filled by the Spirit of God. Amen. However, that's a, a negative example, but then there are also positive examples. Um, there are more than, there's, there, there are multiple places where the Bible speaks of alcohol in a in neutral or positive way, but I'm just going to read one from Deuteronomy 14 because I think this one is just really clear. Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting verse 23, is a description of of a religious festival. The Israelites are commanded to partake in this festival as a way to worship God. And this is what they are instructed to do. Verse 23 of chapter 14 of Deuteronomy. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine, and oil in the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of Yahweh your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. I, they're being taught here, you need to worship God, and so what we want you to do is we want you to take one-tenth of what you produce that year, one-tenth of your wine, one-tenth of your grain, one-tenth of your meat, and you're going to use it all in this gigantic party where you celebrate before the Lord. Verse 24, but if the distance is too great for you to carry it, it being 10% of all the stuff that you had that year, like for some people, if they were quite successful, that's a lot of stuff to bring to the party. So if it is too great for you to carry it, since the place where Yahweh your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord your God has blessed you, then exchange it for money 
take the money in your hand and go to the place your, the Lord your God chooses, and now you may spend, this is so interesting, you may spend the money on anything you want, cattle, sheep, wine, beer, again, can be translated strong drink, or anything you desire. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. Isn't that fascinating? But it's saying you have the meat and you've got the oil and you've got the strong drink, you've got this stuff, so bring it, to the, bring it to the festival and if it's too far for you to carry it, exchange it for money, get there and then buy it there and then feast before the Lord. It seems really obvious to me that on the one hand, the scripture is saying do not use alcohol to get drunk and on the other hand, it is saying you can use it to worship the Lord, which makes me think, it must be something about how you use it. It's not that it's inherently sinful, but what you do with it is what matters. Let me go back to Proverbs so you can see more of this. Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23, starting in verse 19, says, Listen, my son, and be wise. Keep your mind on the right course. This is the father talking to his son. And look what he says in the next verse. Don't associate with those who drink too much wine, or with those who gorge themselves on what? Meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will become poor, and grogginess will clothe them in rags. Now I want you to notice, in this particular proverb, wine is being placed in the same category as meat. Watch out for the people who overdo it with wine and meat. Now why is wine in the same category as meat? I think there's a reason. I think it's because it's a verse about overconsumption. It's not that meat is inherently sinful, just like wine is not inherently sinful. You've got to watch out what you do with it. And the father of Proverbs says you've got to watch out. In fact, he gives us two new words we haven't got to yet. For the drunkard and the glutton will become poor. The drunkard is the person who overconsumes alcohol, and the glutton is the person that overconsumes food. And in this particular proverb, the warning is to not do that, to not be involved in that, because it will cause poverty. That's what this particular proverb is about. One, the, in this case, the reason it's given to avoid overconsumption is that it leads to poverty, which is something that you know is true. Some of you have seen people who party, 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 and consume, 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 and let's do another one and another round of drinks on me, and let's get some more of those fries, and credit card, credit card, credit card, and at the end of the month, they got nothing. And some of you know people who have used their monies on drugs, and they have become so addicted to the substance that they spend the majority of their money on the substance, and they're going, I have a hard time paying my bills, and we have a hard time keeping the electricity on, and oh, the internet's out again because I didn't pay the bill. Why? Because I'm so addicted, and I just keep spending money on this thing that I'm consuming. Now, that is not the only reason to avoid overindulging. I'm just saying, in this particular proverb, that's the reason that's given. The reason that's giving is they will become poor. There is more reason to avoid overconsumption than just poverty, but that's the reason for this proverb. Let's go to another one. Proverbs chapter 23, starting in verse 29. Sorry, yeah, 23. So same chapter, literally, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight verses later. Okay, same chapter, eight verses later, it says this. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has conflicts? Who has complaints? Who has wounds for no reason? Who has red eyes? Now, before I even read the rest of this proverb, you can tell by the way these questions are asked that whoever this person is, you don't want to be them, right? This is not like, who has woe? Like, this is not the person you want to be, right? 
This, who, who, whatever is getting talked about next is someone with sorrow and complaints and wounds for no reason and red eyes. This is not good. Now, who is this person? Here's the next verse. Those who linger over wine. Those who go looking for mixed wine. Don't gaze at wine because it's red when it gleams in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and you will say absurd things. Some of you know exactly what that's talking about. <laughs> You'll be like someone sleeping out at sea or lying down on the top of a ship's mast. Don't know for sure what that means, but obviously at sea is not firm like in the ground. So this may very well be like when someone drinks too much and they're still, but the room is spinning. Verse 35, they struck me, but I feel no pain. They beat me, but I didn't know it. I think this is the, the drunkard that they're talking. That's, this is the, the person that drank too much is saying... <laughs> They struck me, but I feel no pain. They beat me, but I didn't know it. I've got injuries from last night. I kind of remember getting into that fight. It didn't even hurt at the time. Yeah, because you were drunk. And this person who's talking, I assume they keep talking here, when will I wake up? And then this is what happens when I wake up. I will look for another drink. And so we can see that, that this overconsumption of alcohol is harmful. I think that they beat me, but I didn't know it probably fits with the wounds for no reason from earlier in the chapter. And then to end with, I'll look for another drink. Like after my eyes are already red and I've got complaints and I've got sorrows and I've got woe and I've got wounds for no reason and I'm like someone that's at the top of a ship mast and I'm saying absurd things and then tomorrow morning, what am I going to do? I'm going to get up and do it again. Like those are the words of addiction. So let me go ahead and try to summarize the point so far. Okay, we're looking at what Proverbs says about all sorts of topics. Today we're learning this. Overeating and overdrinking are harmful behaviors that Proverbs warns against, and in principle, this could apply to other things that we do other than eating and drinking. You following me so far? All right, so let me go ahead and give you three methods for dealing with overconsumption. Okay, three methods for you in dealing with overconsumption. They are called moderation, abstaining, and fasting. Okay, I just want to explain these th three words for you and explaining three different ways to deal with overconsumption. Moderation, abstaining, and fasting. Let's start with moderation. Moderation is eating or drinking or doing a medium amount of something. I think it's what's being talked about in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. It's the verse that, I read to you, that we started the sermon off with. I want to say it again. Proverbs 25, 16. If you find honey, eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll get sick from it and vomit. I just want you to notice, it says, if you find honey, eat only what you need. That's moderation. That's what moderation is. The verse does not say, if you find honey, run! Because some people overdo it. That's not what it says. No, if you find it, eat only what you need. That's moderation. And that requires self-control. The Bible is teaching us to use moderation as a form of self-control. Now, there's another word that I want to teach you, abstaining. So we've got moderation, self-control, I eat only what I need, and now we've got abstaining. Abstaining is different than moderation. Abstaining is I'm not going to e even eat only the little bit. This is I'm not going to do it at all. Obviously, this is something that you would use uh, for a substance or a behavior or something that you don't need for survival. Abstaining would be I'm not going to do it at all. Now, it seems to me abstaining is the right method for certain situations. For instance, if the substance that you desire is illegal in any amount, I would suggest abstaining is probably the way you want to go. 
For instance, heroin is illegal in Florida. I mean, I didn't Google it, but it seems like that's the popular view. Okay? <laughs> heroin is illegal in Florida, am I right? You're a police officer, am I right? Where is it? Where are you? Yeah, it's still illegal, right? Okay, for now. All right, so anyway, so heroin is illegal in Florida. So how should you relate to heroin? In my opinion, this is just my suggestion. I would say don't go with moderation, okay? I would say go with abstaining, right? Completely abstaining, zero. There are other reasons you might want to use abstaining, and it could be something that is perfectly legal. Um, I have had multiple friends who have told me things like this. They have said, Mario, because of my background when it comes to alcohol, or because of my personal history when it comes to like just drug use, it's better for me to completely abstain from things like alcohol when offered. I've had people tell me this. They said, you know what? I can go to the Memorial Day picnic, and somebody says, would you like a beer? And I'm able to say to them, no, I would not. And I can stop it there. But if I just have one beer, I don't ever stop it there. Like, I'm able to say, no, thank you. But if I ever just have one, I'm not ever able to stop at just one. And so I've, for myself, I've got to just say no to the very first serving. And I've heard that. I've heard multiple friends say that makes total sense to me. And I would think to myself, okay, then that means there are some of you that are probably going to want to practice abstaining from certain behaviors. It doesn't mean that everybody in the world needs to, but it might mean that you need to. Because you go, I, zero is easier for me than one. And if you're here this morning and you're addicted to something, whether it's wine or whether it's whatever it may be, um, I just, if, you're, if you come to the point that you realize it has been harmful for you and you need to move from addiction to abstaining, I, I wanted to recommend Celebrate Recovery to you. Celebrate Recovery is a Christian 12-step program. They're similar to AA, except that they are like specifically Christian. AA is not a specifically Christian group. Um, but Celebrate Recovery is specifically a Christian 12-step program. I think that they will allow people in more than just for the reasons of alcohol. And it, going from addiction to abstaining is very, very hard. And so it may be that some of you shouldn't try to do it alone. And so I just wanted to suggest that to you. You can just Google the word Celebrate Recovery. It'll come right up. I did it two weeks ago. Um, there's, there's three in Marion County. In fact, after I Googled it, I drove right past one, saw the big sign on the road, so I know they're, they're still meeting. There's one in Bellevue. There's one in Summerfield. There's one at Meadowbrook Church. Um, I think two of them were on Mondays and one was on Tuesday, or maybe two of them meet on Tuesday and one meet on Monday. But anyway, point is, there are groups of Christians who are here who will help you on the journey from addiction to abstaining. And so I just wanted to suggest that for you. So, we've talked about moderation, and we've talked about abstaining, but abstaining is not the strategy to use for every single situation. Did you know that? If your problem is gluttony, abstaining is not your answer, <laughs> right? If your problem is gluttony, then the solution is not abstaining, because you need food to survive. So you're going to have to consider moderation, and you may also consider fasting. Now, fasting is something that's talked about in the Bible. It's sort of a combination between the first two. It's like abstaining in the sense that you don't eat it at all or drink it at all or do it at all, except it's like moderation in the sense that you don't do it forever. Fasting is a temporary um, time of abstaining. In the Bible, fasting typically refers to abstaining from food, and you could abstain from food for one meal, just skip a meal. You could do it for two meals. You could do it for three meals. And this requires self-control. In fact, all of these require self-control. That's the common denominator with all of these. Moderation requires self-control. Abstaining requires self-control. Fasting requires self-control so that you are not allowing this thing to master you. 
There may be other reasons to fast. I believe there are. There are times the Bible talks about fasting in relationship to showing like particular devotion to God. But I'm not even getting into that aspect of it. I'm just talking about methods for dealing with overconsumption. And one way to do it is to fast. Um, I want to read to you what Jesus said about fasting in Matthew chapter 6. Now this is interesting. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to know when I say you should fast, I'm not saying you have to fast. But I do want to explain to you what Jesus said about it. So let me just show you. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 3. Jesus said, But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So in this particular verse, Jesus is talking about giving to the poor. He doesn't tell them, he doesn't actually say to give to the poor. He just says, when you give to the poor. Like The assumption is that some of them are going to do it sometime. So he says when. He doesn't tell them how much to give to the poor. He doesn't tell them how often to give to the poor. He just says when you do it, don't make a big deal out of it. Keep it a secret. Then a couple verses later, he says this. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and street corners to be seen by people. Again, this verse doesn't actually say to pray. It just assumes that some of the people standing there are going to pray. So he doesn't say this is how much you have to pray, this is how long you have to pray. He just assumes you're going to pray, and when you do, don't be hypocritical about it. Don't be showy about it. And then a few verses later, he says this. Whenever you fast... This is Matthew 6, 16. Whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. I don't know if you know any of these people. But what the verse is saying is that this whole, oh, look, I am suffering for Jesus. Like this passage is saying, don't do that. That's not the point. Do not do that. But I want you to notice that what does Jesus assume some of the people in his audience are going to do? He assumes they're going to fast. At least in that culture. Now, again, there's not a command. This is how much, this is when, or even that you must. I can't think of any Bible verse that says you must fast. I'm just saying Jesus assumed that some people, at least in his culture, would. And he told them how to do it. There may be some of you that want to consider fasting related to food and like weight control. That it may be good for you to skip a meal a day for a while. Or skip two meals a day for a while until things are under control. There may be some of you that the thing you ought to fast from is not even a food thing or a drinking sort of thing. There may be some of you that should fast from your cell phone for a little while. I mean, there could be somebody in this room that you come, let's say you come home from work at 6 p.m. and the kids go to bed at 9 p.m. And you could decide from 6 to 9 p.m. I'm going to fast from my cell phone. I'm just going to give those three hours my undivided attention to my family. And if any of you, as you hear that, you went on the inside, you went, I could never do that. You're probably the people that need to do that. Okay, final questions. Why would we do this? Why would we be concerned about overconsumption? And what does this have to do with the larger message of the Bible? I mean, I get that in Proverbs over and over again, it talks about this overconsumption problem. But what does that have to do with Christianity as a whole? What does that have to do with the New Testament? And why is it a big deal? And so I wanted to tell you this. First of all, one reason that we should be concerned about overconsumption, I'll just give you my first reason, is the reason that's in Proverbs, which is that it's harmful. Like that's the emphasis of the book of Proverbs um, on this topic, is that overconsumption is harmful. Like it, it doesn't, most of these verses, it seems to me, don't even specifically talk about your spiritual life, although there's an assumption that wisdom is connected to your spiritual life. 
But overconsumption is harmful. And so the message of Proverbs is like, watch out. It could cause you to vomit. It could lead you astray. It can cause you to become poor. It can cause you to have conflicts. It can cause you to have sorrow. It can cause you to have wounds for no reason. It can bring about addiction. So that's one reason. One reason to be concerned about overconsumption is because it's harmful to you. But I don't think that's the only reason. I think there's another reason that we would find outside of the book of Proverbs, and that is we do this for God. We don't do this just to avoid harm in our own lives. We do this because it's God's will. It's what he is doing in us. It's what he came for. Like Galatians chapter 5, this is a pretty powerful verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's a really famous verse. I'll tell you about the verses that come just before it. Um, in this section of Galatians, just before the part that I'm about to read to you, um, Paul is talking about that we are no longer under the law and that we are to walk by the Spirit and that we are not to walk according to the deeds of the flesh anymore. And then there's a list of deeds of the flesh. This is what we are not to be living like. Drunkenness is specifically one of the things that's mentioned there. He says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then after he says that comes this verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And what does that mean? Christians talk a lot about the fruit of the Spirit. I feel like this is a really famous Bible verse. It's produced a lot of Christian kitchen decor. It's got a potholder with a cherry on it in Galatians. That's, I don't think, what Paul's intention was. I'm not telling you to throw the potholder away. I'm just saying I don't think that Paul intended it to be a potholder. The idea here is the, like the fruit of the Spirit, back then, especially in agricultural societies, they would understand that. That's the product of the Spirit. Like Just like the product of an apple tree is an apple, the thing that comes from the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is the product of the Spirit. Why should we care about overconsumption? Yes, one reason you should care about overconsumption is because it's harmful to you. But another reason is the Spirit of God wants to come into your life to produce self-control specifically. Titus chapter 2, and I'm going to end on this. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 say this. This is so wonderful. This is about the gospel. It says, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. That is good news. That there is salvation that has appeared for all people, and the salvation that has appeared is the grace of God. The way that you are saved is not by your self-control. I'm going to try really hard, and then he's going to be impressed. Look at all the self-control I am mustering out. No, it's the grace of God that has appeared with salvation for all people. But this grace does not just appear just to be grace. It instructs us. It instructs us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, that's desires, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. How long we got to do that for? While we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Doug Davison, just before the sermon, said in a prayer, we pray for the day when camps like this are no longer needed. There is coming a day when camps like that are no longer needed. And I think there's coming a day where self-control as you fight the, the, the works of the flesh will no longer be needed. 
But in this present age, we are to live in sensible, righteous, and godly ways while we wait for our Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us. This is a reference to the gospel. He gave himself for us. When did he give himself for us? When he died on the cross for our sins. He gave his life. He died on the cross for us to redeem us. That means to buy us, to buy us back so that we would belong to him, to buy us back from sin, to buy us from judgment, to buy us from all lawlessness. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. That is, he saves us and he shows us grace, but he specifically wants to cleanse us into people who are eager to do good works. The gospel is that Jesus saves us by his grace, not by our self-control. However, his salvation is not simply forgiveness that's given to us separate from self-control. He wants to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, a people that are eager to do good works. And so it's important that we remember that we are saved from something. And we are saved for something. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this. And I have been the pastor here for 10 years. I have not ever preached on this topic. It has not dawned on me to do so. And I have loved preaching through the book of Proverbs and seeing that it brings up these topics. Incredibly practical topics. And tells us how to live our lives. And so I'm so grateful. And so we as a congregation, we thank you. We thank you for the wisdom that you have given us so long ago. I pray that you would help us. I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would have self-control in our lives. I pray that you turn us into a self-controlled church by helping us to be individually self-controlled people. And I pray you'd help this to hit us wherever it is that we need it. I'm, I'm sure there are people that are really easy to look over at someone else and go, oh, you know, whatever, they're overweight or that person's an alcoholic or, you know, and at least it's not as bad as me because I'm just on my cell phone all the time and that can't be as bad, right? And I pray you'd help us to, at least in this case, maybe not be super concerned about everybody else, but be focused on what it is that you would like us to control by the power of your spirit in our own lives. And then if we're able to help others, that's great. I pray that you'd help us to do that too. But I first and foremost pray that you would help us to have self-control in our own lives and that you would guide us in the ways that you want us to be a people for your own possession, eager to do good works. I also pray that we would do it for the right reasons. I'm sure there are some of us in this room that have personality types that just we really want to show you. I can be so self-controlled. I can be more self-controlled than the other people. You're going to be so glad you saved me because I just, I'm going to try even harder than everybody. And I pray that we would not turn self-control into some sort of tool where we can think that we can get like some extra acceptance from you. but rather we would trust that you already accept us and have forgiven us and love us and sent us salvation and bought us and then given us your spirit who we will now walk with in self-control as people already saved by you. 
Thank you for your grace. It's incredible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.